Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education, those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. You know, at Game Changers, we keep coming back to this notion of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial thinking and the way in which we change the game by changing the world and change the world by changing the game and how it all fits together. There's a particular energy, there's a particular passion, there's a particular savvy that you need, as well as some chutzpah and some knuckles, as my grandmother Mary would have said. Jeanette, she has got all of that in spade load. She's the founder and CEO of Hex, an award-winning edtech company that delivers internationally recognised innovation and entrepreneurship programs to uni students and the next generation of talent. She's a keynote speaker, she's a panellist, she's a lecturer, she's a mentor, she's everything. She's everything, everywhere, all at once, Adriana. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 11 sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course. We're proud to be partnered with the School for Tomorrow and Alex Bell at Portland Education in delivering a dynamic coaching-based leadership program called Lead Now. Lead Now provides the opportunity for emerging and established middle leaders to further build towards their full potential contributing to the ongoing high performance of the school community they serve. Head to a schoolfortomorrow.com slash coaching. Let's go. Phil, I'm so excited to be with you again, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with our, our Game Changers guest for Series 11. But before we start with our guest, Phil, I hear that you've escaped Victoria and you're up in New South Wales. What's it like slumming it for once? Oh, look, Adriano, as a proud Sydney cider and Waratah's supporter, you can just go and jump as far as I'm concerned. I've been up here for my <laughs> mum's 90th birthday. Uh, Rama, happy birthday. Stop up to you. We love you deeply and you just keep on keeping on because you're our inspiration. Well, normally I would say right now enough of this nonsense, but I can't say that after you've just said you your mother's 90th you birthday. <laughs> anyway, let's get to our very first guest. I'm going to ask you a question that we ask all of our listeners, and that is tell us a little bit about your story and how you've gotten to where you are today. It's really nice to be here, uh, Phil and Adriano. And uh, first of all, shout out to that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. What a fantastic film that was. Uh, absolutely mind-blowing, wasn't it? Best, best film of the year, easily, easily. Easily, easily. Definitely a mind expander for sure. Um, yeah, so my story, who I am, where I got to, I guess, look, it depends how far you want to go back, but if you want to go back all the way to the beginning, I, I was actually born to Chinese-Malaysian parents in Honolulu. Um, mm. And then after that was brought up across Japan, Brisbane, Melbourne, so first-generation migrants. Uh, experienced a few different uh, educational systems and actually went to six different schools from the ages of prep to year 12. So I had to get used to walking into a different classroom almost every second year uh, and reinventing myself and finding new friends and figuring out what was going on there. 
And then throughout that journey, I guess I had a fairly, you know, fairly traditional focus on, on education. My, my dad was a PhD in economics and my mum's got her MBA and they, they're very focused on education, as many Asian families are. And I even uh, played the violin from the age of two. So all of the stereotypes, all of the things. And after, after university, I went through a corporate career, uh, mostly banking, financial services, a little bit of energy and found myself in entrepreneurship and education. So that, that jump was pretty, pretty interesting. And I guess if I, if I do sort of reflect on some of those moments, I tended to be the person that was in the, the right place at the wrong right time. Um, and if I can expand on that, I would say that I was in structured products and pensions during the global financial crisis. And then I was in energy and green energy products during the time when the Australian government put the carbon tax in place. Mm. Uh, and then I was in financial planning and wealth when the Royal Commission came through uh, on financial planning. And now I'm in ed tech during a pandemic. So it's, it's always good, good times, good times in my career. <laughs> and uh, happy to be at Hex and happy to talk about that more. So first of all, I'm exceptionally jealous that born in Honolulu and, and have had uh, uh, times throughout different parts of Asia, and now you find yourself in, in Australia. Um, I'm very jealous about that kind of journey. Um, uh, when I was 21 or 22, I, I went over to Japan. I, th- I think I spent about six months in Nagoya um, initially doing nothing, but then end up working a little bit in advertising. <laughs> and then I end up working on the door of a nightclub over there, um, being six foot as two. As one does. As one does. Being six foot two and Caucasian with long, long blonde hair, uh, I think I was a bit of a novelty in the, in the city. And people would drive around all day looking for where, evening, they will drive around the city looking for where I was because that's where the, the party yeah, then can was. I just, can, I just, can I just point out that no one's ever asked me <laughs> to go on the door at a nightclub. But they did ask me but I used to run the books for a nightclub. So what's the difference there, Adriano? I know where the fun is. Anyway, so <laughs> that's the difference. Um, but what what I um, learnt from those experiences living, living abroad at different periods of time was so much about my capacity to adapt uh, and respond to the context that I was currently in. It's interesting and this leads me to my question. It's interesting when, when you've just shared post your school experience, all those different types of uh, professional experiences that you've had, when you reflect back on then your schooling experience, do you now think that perhaps the changing of schools so frequently every two years, you said, prepared you for a skill of adaptability in this entrepreneurial space? I think you couldn't have designed it better, honestly, for for somebody who ended up in a space where things are constantly moving, the technology changes at a rate that you can't even fathom. Um, we are adapting to changes in politics and, and cultural norms. And I think being able to rapidly adapt to that and stay true to who you are as a person and figure out what you're bringing into that conversation or what you're bringing to that room you know, you could you couldn't have designed it better for, for a child kind of growing up in that space of jumping around and trying to get to know new people and trying to build that confidence. And I think was, there was definitely some, some natural abilities of I was the, I was the kid that Jeanette's, Jeanette's smart but distracts the others in class, that, that kind of kid. So right. I used to be the one that would, you know, talk, talk in the back of the room. So I think I enjoyed talking from an early age. So I, th- I think, the, you know, other personality types that might have been quite challenging, but also I just think that that exposure to different, cultures and I don't just mean cultures in countries but cultures at schools yes as well yes. it really 
sets you up for that sort of chameleon aspect that I think is very much needed in careers today, uh, no matter what people are doing. I, I often talk about um, raising the, the overall capability of, of people to, to be excellent players in the future economy. It doesn't matter necessarily if they're trained for a particular job type or if they went to a particular school or did a particular course. There's capabilities across the board that everyone needs to adapt. And that chameleon nature, adaptability piece, I think is definitely one of them. Yeah, I, I want to get to uh, a conversation in a moment, uh, a couple of questions around gutsy students and, and how you define those in, uh, through, through your work with, you know, particularly with HEX. But before I move to that space, I don't want to, I don't want to leave uh, this wonderful journey that you've shared with us. In all of those different professional experiences, so much learning is going on. Uh, that's, that's the technical learning of that particular area, but there's also personal growth. You shared with us the journey of your parents in terms of their commitment to, to their learning context. And you've gone on a professional path where you've learned so many new kind of skill sets, both technical and human and digital, through, through all the different uh, experiences you've had to date. What influence do you feel that your parents' commitment to this notion of being a continuous learner and unlearner has had on you? So when I think about my parents and their journey, it's similar to many migrants, I'd suggest. They, they've come to a new country. They are figuring out how to settle, settle in and make a life for themselves. And they have to learn. They have to adapt. They have to unlearn the cultural norms that they had before. And so much can change within a generation, uh, seeing what they experienced when they first got to Australia and, and what my, you know, my siblings and I are experiencing now in terms of our opportunities, our leadership, our visibility in media, all that kind of thing. But they're both incredibly hard workers. My mum is in her late 60s. She was still doing her CPA before she retired. She's definitely a lifelong learner and uh, her work ethic is, is unmatched, really. I think, you know, there's a, there's a mindset, um, particularly, particularly in sort of migrant families where they're, they're here to work to make a better life for people coming through. So I, so I definitely absorbed a lot of that growing up. Uh, I will say, though, that probably imparted on me a bit of an unrealistic level of expectations on myself possibly because you know you want to make them happy you want to make them proud you also want to make sure that their efforts are not going unrewarded and I'm, I'm the oldest of, of four kids and mm-hmm. gonna blaze that trail you know yeah, yeah. and many many first ones out there would probably recognize so I definitely as an entrepreneur have had to realize that it's okay to not hit those hds or a pluses or perfect scores because you never are going to and that was definitely an unlearning opportunity for me going from you know striving for great school results to what we're doing today is building businesses and building teams yeah that's that's hard though isn't it i mean you know there's three of us in this conversation now and we're all we're all we're all the children of immigrants and we've all, we've, we've we've all had those sorts of expectations in us mm. and they're deeply deeply ingrained and they're coded in from a very very early age it's it's almost a restlessness as much as anything. I think there's another component of it too, where when you come, when your family comes to a new country and you're searching for belonging, recognition becomes really, really important either for you or your family. You know, you've represented Australia at the G20 Young Entrepreneurs Alliance in Argentina. You're a Telstra Businesswoman's Award finalist in 2021. You're a name of 40 under 40, most influential Asian Australian and and uh, and the category winner for entrepreneurship. Now, this is an awesome achievements. Um, Thank you. What does this type of recognition mean to you personally, and what does this mean to your family? 
it means it means a lot actually and I think when I do reflect on the fact that uh you know my parents did certainly experience casual racism on the arrival uh, here in Australia when in the 80s and here I am being recognized as an influential Asian Australian like what is that <laughs> what's yeah, changed exactly. in that generation so I think you know it's not it's not necessarily just sort of that for my family but I just I see it as a real challenge for me as a leader as well because that discomfort you get in putting yourself up for awards or, or sort of you know, post posting it on LinkedIn and stuff. Somebody said to me the other day, actually, don't worry about it. It's not bragging if it actually happened, right? So I was like, okay, that's fair. It's just a fact that I did this thing. So telling people about it. And that that actually, that discomfort, I think, is important for us as leaders to lean into because you never know who's out there watching and you never know who needs to see you, specifically you, do something in that moment to inspire them. And so I would just call to action anybody who is, considering putting themselves up for anything or stepping above the parapet or awkwardly raising their hand for an award or something, I think it's important for all of us and the people coming after us. So, yes, it's amazing for my family, but I also I, I'm much more focused on the future generations of people coming next. I want to be there for them so they can well, look at someone. Well, that's, legacy, that's the legacy piece too. And, but the legacy piece is also something passed down to us as well too. Yeah. We don't do this for ourselves. We do this to pass it on. And we, we call that you know, what we're talking about here in terms of a relationship is what we at a school for tomorrow and a game change. We call this character apprenticeship. You know, this is a, a designed relationship we have with those around us where we pass mm. on our expertise, we pass on our, uh, our self-efficacy. The people mm. we're working with, they, they learn to articulate and to reflect and explore. We model it, we coach it, we scaffold it. But what's really important is we have to step away and we have to allow people to come into their own voice and agency and advocacy rather than us. And in that way, it's not about us. So it's no. funny, isn't it? You've got that, you're living, you're living in that tension between the recognition, which some people will think is about you, and then there's the character apprenticeship, which might look like a bit of a power trip, and yet the aim of all of it is legacy. It's the aim of all of this to step away and to empower other people in, in what you do. You, you've been leading in the entrepreneurship space for some time now in exactly this way. You're very committed to the notion that within your organisations, it needs to be a learning organisation in and of itself. Is teaching our young people entrepreneurship simply to become the next Elon Musk or Melanie Perkins or Mike Cannon-Brooks or Scotty Farquhar? And we're going to come talk about Atlassian in a moment. Or is there, is there value in fostering enterprise thinking in young people for its own sake? In other words, is it about the enterprise or is it about the capability of the people who are inhabiting the enterprise? I think if we train people to be the next Elon Musk, I've done my job badly. I... <laughs> the kinds of... <laughs> Sorry, Elon. <laughs> I mean, I like, I like the space stuff and the car stuff and the other stuff you can leave. Uh, no, I guess what I do, you know, and I, I guess to that point, and I'm thinking a bit flippant now, but what I actually mean by that is, Yes, you can be an innovator. Yes, you can be an entrepreneur and build incredible uh, companies and technology and whatever it might be. But I also believe if you don't have a center and you're not doing things authentically and have an obligation to people, planet, society, community, that you're not actually, you know, innovating in a way that's going to help help the world, right? So, so when when you ask about is it about people just starting businesses or is it a capability? I say absolutely, it's a capability. I. I get out of bed in the morning because I want to see the next generation of leaders, you know, making those 
making better decisions. And when I say leaders, they don't have to just be founders. They could be founders. And that's great because as founders, they can make choices about how they treat their staff, what kinds of procurement they do, what kinds of products they design, what kind of even just things like parental leave policies in their own businesses. All of these things can help shift society to a better place. But it also, when I, it also means people that are working within organisations or working within businesses or, or even government. For example, we've got a, a Hex alumni student who did an entrepreneurship program with us in Tel Aviv. She ended up um, doing two things. One was running a photography business of her own. So she did an entrepreneurial sort of piece there. However, she also works in the tax office, uh, doing bringing innovation into the tax office. So for me, if I look at the future professionals and know that they could do a HEX program and then still choose to say, mm, I tried this entrepreneurship tech thing. It's not quite for me. I'm still going to go be a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor or whatever it might be that they choose to be. It makes me feel happy that they'll still have a baseline in entrepreneurship and innovation and tech because I think those mindsets and capabilities are relevant across the board because every single career, no matter where it is, where it is in the world, what it is, is going to have that technology bent uh, and the ability to have the fluency of communication in that space and to think through what entrepreneurship in your industry could look like, even if you're not yourself a founder, I think is super important. Yeah, so it's it's very much then about who you are and who you're becoming and where you take that on your journey. It's not about a particular journey or a particular destination. You know, it's, no. it's at the at the end of the day, the thing that we keep thinking about is is the notion of how we can prepare people to thrive in their world. Um, and mm. thriving comes in all sorts of forms. Um, you need founders. You also need followers. You need influencers. So let's let's talk about influence for a moment, and let's talk about support and sponsors and patronage along the way in your journey you were able to connect with atlassian to support your process can you talk to us about the the type of support that they provided for you i mean obviously there's some financial support in there but it's more than just that there's a broader sphere of influence in terms of your connection to them what have you learned from them and then in your work with others how are you passing that on yeah, we've been really uh, fortunate to have the support of the Atlassian Foundation and many of the people at Atlassian recently. So that's, that's been great because, yes, there's a little bit of financial support, but we've put that straight into scholarships that directly impact students from low socioeconomic backgrounds. So the fi- funding hasn't gone to the business, it's gone back straight to students. The other support that they've provided is, is probably threefold. One is we have members of their team, of the Atlassian team, providing some oversight on what we call a design advisory board. So they will occasionally review the content that we create or even the digital experiences that we're building, uh, providing feedback, providing some best practice uh, from the the day-to-day work that they do and the industry best practice that they're seeing. Secondly, we have people uh, that we call industry faculty. So they'll they'll drop in with things like incredible uh, podcast snippets or even articles which are letters to their 18-year-old self. I'll do fireside chats with them. So their, their content gets woven into to the overall HEX, uh, HEX programs. And then finally, and I really like this piece, they've made many of their team members available for mentorship for students. So which means that students coming on HEX programs can get immediate direct access to people working at one of Australia's leading tech companies. And we really just close that gap, take it away, connect them directly so that there's that two-way conversation coming from students uh, with fresh ideas and, and uh, experienced mentors who are help- helping them on their career decisions. So, I mean, we're, we're very 
we're very grateful for that. And I think in terms of, of paying it forward and helping to drive that across different industries, something I think, you know, we have in common is wanting to, again, lift everyone's overall capacity. And then one of the things that we did at HEX during, during the wonderful year of 2020 that we all try to forget, yes. that the team and I, I created um, a concept called the, the backwards mullet approach to online programming, which is party at the front, business at the back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we... I mean, <laughs> so you reverse that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, uh, we sort of thought, you know, because we, we saw a lot of our colleagues and peers struggling, uh, particularly those that were originally doing international education and study tours like we were at the start. And when we came up with this little formula of, of you know, backwards mullet, our instinct was actually then to share that out with industry. Um, and I think... You know, that kind of leadership that, you know, you, you do see and the people like the, the Mike Hannah-Brooks and the Scotties um, out there, the Scott Farquhar's out there, you know, they're, they're very much about how can we take our values and vision and use what platforms we have to talk about it, some louder than others. But for us, it was just, okay, well, we've got, we've got something that we've come up with. We know our industry is struggling. How can we pay that forward straight away? And we even had competitors in the room. We had leading universities in the room. Yeah. We... It was very much about non, non, more of a collaborative, non-competitive approach to education because at the end of the day, it was all for the student, right? Making sure that the learners got what they needed and making sure that our peers felt supported. So, yeah, I think that that mindset of collaboration and, and abundance is really found across entrepreneurship and, and I think across education as well. And I think it's great to see more of that happening. Thank you for sharing all that. And then this notion of paying it forward is a real consistent thread that we are discovering in series 11 in every conversation that we are having with our our remarkable guests that we've got on this particular series. There's a selflessness about it, but it is deeply rooted in the individuals, and it's really clear it's with you as well, uh, that you're coming from a strong construct of purpose, uh, your own why, uh, you, you just shared then, you know, about the idea of uh, uh, other organisations who, who believe in, in, you know, sharing their values with others and trying to, to help that evolve. Um, so it's really, really impressive and heartening to hear that. You finish that response just then, again, this selflessness approach that ultimately is about how do we support these young people? How do we, how do we help them ultimately flourish? You're the founder and the CEO of HEX, this, this award-winning ed tech company delivering in, internationally recognised innovation and entrepreneurial programs. And Phil mentioned that at the very top of the show here, helping kind of gutsy university students prepare for this future. So I'm going to get to my question now about gutsy students. What is your definition of a gutsy student? And the second part is, how does HEX leverage technology to better support all learners to connect to their world within, with each other, and with the places they serve. Big question. Uh, so, so I'll just I'll just clarify a little bit about what uh, you know the the students that we serve. So yep. we we talk about gutsy as a bit of a framework, and it's very much around thinking about those mindsets, the skill sets, and the tools that they need to to really thrive in in the future economy, right? And I would look at a gutsy student and say, okay, it's someone who's not entirely comfortable with the current situation, you know, in the world. So they're already feeling a little bit curious and, and uncomfortable about what's going on. They, they're probably already considering that they want to have a part to play in change. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to become an activist or whatever it is, but they've, they've got this sort of little flame inside them that says, I, I'm going to be part of, part of changing things, 
basically it's taking action to create the world that they want to live in. That's, that's how I would define a Guppy student. Uh, they don't have to have a side hustle. They don't have to be entrepreneurial. They don't need to code tech. Uh, they don't even need to be outspoken and, and uh, extroverted. I think they just, they just want to take some kind of action to create that world that they want to live in. So uh, I'm very much about celebrating action orientation. Um, I'm very much about celebrating just that, that, you know, take that tiny step towards the big goal. And, you know, if, if one thing that we could do at Hex is make every uh, student that we work with feel that they've been seen and that they've been allowed to bring their authentic self into the program or into the, the hackathon that we run or whatever the event might be, or even to the mentoring sessions that we run like that, that would be a huge win for me. Because I think uh, as students are seen and as they're celebrated for that captive talent that they're holding onto, you know, it, it's kind of innate in them. That it, it just needs to be, you know, unlocked a little bit. Uh, and, and it's going to be more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I, <laughs> sorry, I didn't quite finish that one properly. No, 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 that's great. That's great because um, I, I know I'll get to the, I'll, get, mm. I'll let you get to the second part of that question. But before we get to that second part, it just, it just struck me just listening to you about your mission and and the passion that you have for the work that you do in helping these young people step into their own agency. It, I'll get to the tech question in a moment, but if you were, if you were in, a, in, a, in the school system right now and you were designing new curricula and curriculum, mm-hmm. what should we be measuring to support young people to ultimately thrive in this new world? That's a really fun question. <laughs> Uh, I think there's I'm gonna, a couple a couple of ways to look at it. Number one is teachers are incredible and they already do so much. And I think it is completely unrealistic to expect them to do everything they already do and also stay on top of technology and innovation trends and make sure students are like well up to date with all of the latest things that are changing. This is why I would plug in industry and find ways to better connect what's happening on the coalface of, of industry with what's happening in the classroom. I think that there's a beautiful collaboration that can take place between educators on the daily and stuff that changes multiple times a day in different tech. So I would find ways to package up curriculum so that it's not just uh, here's an assessment, here's a learning, here's an assessment. It's uh, What we've done with HEX really is we've actually got amazing universities who have recognised HEX across the board as like this is relevant for credit that they trust us to iterate under the surface because they trust us to know what's happening in industry. And I think that approach in education curriculum could be really groundbreaking because it will just, you know, release the shackles from uh, the black and white uh, things that we need to look at at the moment. So I think that there's something there. Um, I would also love to implement, and look, we, we sort of talk about this innovation gap year concept at HEX, uh, which may or may not be year 13, may or may not be the gap year that you take at university, but there's something else that I think needs to bridge a student who's made a decision in year nine to do certain electives and then, you know, thinks that that's going to determine the rest of their lives like I did when I was 14. Um, There's something else that needs to bridge that student's mindset and the mindset of the person that makes a decision for their future. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, this concept of an innovation gap year will you know, it could become that bridge. It could be something where it's a safe place for students to explore. It's a safe place where they don't lose, they don't lose their place in the line. They don't lose any academic credit. They're not wasting time. It's still recognised by the systems that be and that it's also recognised by industry and it also gives them the chance to fail and not have to hit PhDs, 
Yeah, I'm very specific. Can I tell you, I love what you're sharing with our listeners because the first part of that response is is inherently about partnership Mm. and how we can continue as an industry to look beyond the boundaries of our fence and and go into uh, this world, this brave world, whether it's not-for-profit, whether it's for-profit, whether it's industry leaders, business, uh, community organisations. There is this world that exists and schools have got to stop operating as if they're separate from it. But by the way many, many schools are doing what you're saying too, right? Many, many schools, to their credit, are deeply mm. committed to these partnerships. They tap into their parent network, you know, which, which has a diverse range of industries that they're part of, and they really tap into that expertise. And plus, you know, they lean on, on the partnerships they develop, whether it's with university, whether it's industry and business. The second part there that, that's really interesting, um, my mind was ticking over as you're talking about this innovation gap year, and I was thinking, why do we have to wait to do that when they're finished high school. Why aren't we integrating the notion of an innovation gap year while they're in their most formative years where they're still under construction Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, so many things going on? Uh, Why aren't we doing it then where we're tapping into this deep consciousness they have about their world, the planet, the people around them, and and lots about injustice and so on? Uh, We've got them in a safe place. We've got them in, in, in a place that's inherently about community and deeply cares about them. So if you fail forward, you know, it's the psychological safety is, is present. Why wouldn't we then do it while they're still in high school or, or primary school? I think there's nothing wrong with, I think we can. We can. Like we can certainly seed, seed that stuff from very, very early. And I know many educators are doing that already in terms of giving these kinds yeah. of challenges to students and, and helping them understand you know, social entrepreneurship as a, you know, as an opportunity or even community engagement as an opportunity. But, but you're talking about it on a scale that's different, right? You're talking yeah. about it as a scale that that is the focus for that, that gap year. I, I'm seeing this as, as a place where a student who's finished, they've actually left the safe place of school. They've left mm-hmm. the safe boundaries. And they might want to do many different things. They might want to travel. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they might want to work and that maybe they just want to work on the door of a club, um, you know, <laughs> and enjoy that. They, they could actually, you know, be much better than balancing the books, by the way. <laughs> much better. Yeah, I'm, much I'm, better. I'm, 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 I'm still thinking about party up the front business down the back, which is, a, I think, I what like our that, nightclub analogy took us too early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, but, you know, but I think, you know, students at that age, when they're leaving high school or they're kind of in that university age, they, they want to do something that's that's different to what they've been doing for the last 12 years. So yeah. um, they, and, and, you know, some of them might actually need to work to support their families because perhaps they they might actually be, have to support with the breadwinning um, in different family situations. Sure. So I want a situation where students can do this innovation gap year program. Like I'm calling it semi-synchronous. So there's the technology aspect of delivery and they can do it in a way that it suits their schedule but it's also academically recognised by leading universities and it's recognised by leading industry. And so when they've emerged from it, they've got a much better understanding of who they are because they, they've, they've, they've done life, in inverted commas. They've yeah. also done some learning in the way that suits them and then they've yeah. got additional options to roll that credit over should they choose to still go to university. Uh, yeah, but they and, might and not choose to. What, what, and, what, and what you, look, what you're describing there... Um, Jeanette, it's, it, 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 it ticks so many of the boxes. Um, I, I don't want to come across as a box ticker, so maybe it it meets so many of the of the demands that we're seeing around the world for what we call continuous learning, and that's that that blend of synchronous and asynchronous. It's in country, it's uh, in context, 
it's on demand, it's in a classroom, it's online, it's offline, it's a whole combination of things. But the key around it is that when the learner is ready for that voice and agency and advocacy, that they're designing their process as they go. It's, you know, it's, and the funny thing, of course, this isn't, this isn't anything new. I mean, this isn't Bard Kingdom Brunel when he built the first tunnel under the, the River Thames in the 1830s or 1840s. He had no idea what he was doing. He was making up the process as he went along. And the, and the, the pressure to perform is what sharpens the learning along the way. But, you know, it's, you mentioned earlier that, that notion of sort of fear of failure that, that holds people back. You mentioned earlier, you know, you, you, you talked about the different mindsets that people uh, need to succeed. And I don't, think, I don't think any of these mindsets that are required for entrepreneurial success or for thriving in the water or anything new. I mean, there are plenty of examples right back through human history. I think this is a human condition about, you know, are we, are, do we have the courage that it takes to take the big step forward and up? That's what we'll talk about. How can we help young people to have more courage and more conviction in their, in, 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 in their ideas and in their capacity to give it a go? We find that giving young people the a seat at the table, it sounds a bit cliche, but a seat at the table, a real seat at the table, the, sitting in that room with, with a mentor who, who works uh, at Atlassian or, or presenting a startup idea to a real venture capitalist that deploys tens of millions of dollars every year or hundreds of millions of dollars every year and getting that feedback and, and bringing them to Google and letting them sit in a room with someone that defines ad campaigns for global companies and, and ask questions about what Google does with their data privacy. Like, I mean, you know, allowing them to have that, that, uh, that space and that place to ask their challenging questions and uh, realise that people who are making these decisions are open to answering the questions, I think is, we found increases their agency and their bravery. Um, and I, I'm going to kind of like come back a little bit to Adriana's question before around, around curriculum, if, if that's okay, just super quickly, because, sure. you know, one of, one of the things that, you know, we, we've been working on is this concept called hex factor, right? It's a little bit like <laughs> it's a little bit like a um, like a you know it could be a could be a diagnostic, could be a new mind. I think that essentially we're looking at the the skill sets, the tool sets, and the mindsets that we think makes a great hex factor student. Somebody that's abundantly curious, they're authentic, they're that futures thinker, they you know they value and celebrate diversity. They're not just tech tech illiterate, but they're tech fluent. Um, you know, so there's a lot, there's a lot in there that we can definitely work through. But so, so we're really proud of Hex Factor. It's definitely something that we're going to be sharing much more uh, in the future. But I guess what I'd almost like to encourage educators to think about is that, you know, when we're looking at measuring performance and we're looking at preparing students for the future, uh, could, we, could we consider a new kind of intelligence, right? So we, we all know IQ for, for the smarts and EQ for the people skills. I'd like to propose a version of XQ perhaps exponential intelligence, which maybe measures somebody's ability or their capacity to thrive in a constantly changing world. Um, and that's what we're working on um, with Head Factor and, the, and the, the measurement of those kinds of things. We want to see if we can measure. Well, that's, uh, again, that, that ties in very much with what at Game Changers, you know, we, we've identified in, in our research is what the graduate outcomes might be. You know, you've got good mm. people, you've got future builders, continuous learners and unlearners and solution architects, responsible citizens and team creators. That all fits in very well. I, I have a question that's, that's troubling me, and I wondered, Jeanette, whether you'd be able to counsel me through this. I read an amazing book by Gregory Burns 
um, a number of years ago now, maybe maybe you know just over a decade ago. It's called Iconoclast, and it's a, a, a neuroscientist reveals how to think differently. One of the essential points that Burns makes in the book is that there are some people, maybe two and a half percent of the population, whose brains work differently. When they see opportunity, they instinctively go towards it rather than move back from it. You know, and when you when you're on a sporting field, football's a great example. Any code of football is a great example of this. Football is all about space. And some people run towards space because they see it and they recognize it. They're the people who break the line. And then there are those who see the space and instinctively shrink away from it. So we've got neuroscientists telling us that some people just see and feel and experience the world differently. Is it possible that what we're, that what the world of EdTech does is it finds that two and a half percent and it places them in their realm? What do we do about the other 97 and a half percent? Can we teach this stuff? Can we get them part of the way? Or are we relying on some people almost profit-like to lead us forward and then another group of people to work out how we're going to implement this in the real world. And the real world, if you like, is the world where people don't see the space and they don't run towards the space. I can see why that would have been troubling you, Phil. That's a pretty pretty curly question there. Um, and you completely lost me on the football analogy, but uh, what, what I was relating to was, um, you know, the, the concept of public speaking when when you're separate to your to the you know, to the rest of your tribe back in the fight or flight days, you're actually the one who's most likely to be in by the saber-toothed tiger. So people don't like to separate themselves from the pack. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I think my my position on this is is really simple. Actually, I believe we can be taught. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that we could teach these capabilities to the other ninety eight percent. Will they Will they naturally always become the ones that run towards the space? Maybe not. But could we Could we train them to run towards the space more often? Yes. I think we can. I think we can we can show them what the space could look like. I think we can give them the skills and the tools to, uh, you know, feel comfortable moving into that space. And uh, all you need is incremental change in, in that other 98%, and that's a huge amount of impact that can be unleashed. So, you know, I think we put that 2% into, into a place where they can be seen and they might become the, the alumni of Hex that are founding literal space tech companies that are going shooting rockets into space or people that are making seaweed farms and, and getting, you know, like huge amounts of funding to, to do those kinds of things down in Tassie. But they could also be, as I mentioned before, my, my, my wonderful student who, you know, went to the tax office and is going, you know what, I'm going to make some incremental change in this space. Or uh, the, the illustrator and graphic design student who was making stickers and, and doing henna art who realised that technology could amplify her skills and is now one an incredible virtual reality and augmented reality artist and she now teaches that skill to others. So I think, you know, students fall across this rich spectrum and increasing their overall capability and capacity for entrepreneurship, innovation thinking and, and that bravery, that gutsiness. I think that all of them can increase and it'll serve as well. So this, this, um, this is a great conversation. I've really enjoyed listening to you and Phil discuss this space of of empowerment of young people and, and how we continue to support them to step into their agency and have the courage to do so and forever to remain curious and be very compassionate with themselves while they're doing it, but also have the conviction to keep going. Whether it's small steps, whether it's grandiose ones that attract a lot of attention, uh, the, the movement has something powerful about it. Uh, and, and standing still, I often, I've written about these tantamount to stealing, really, I think. Anyway, so 
it leads to my favourite word, permission. One of the things that we believe in at Game Changers and A School for Tomorrow is leaders leaning into the construct of permission. Basically, it's the power of yes. How has your year of yes helped you create powerful networks within the startup and business scene going on to launch your own successful startup? That permission concept is so interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, people are still seeking it regularly and probably one of the most common challenges we hear from students is that imposter syndrome piece. You know, yeah, sure. Have, who told me I'm allowed to do this? Anyway, uh, to your question. So when I was still working at the bank and I was building innovation products with a team and we were doing, uh, you know, lots of, lots of fun work, I got a little bit um, curious about what else was out there and just started going to things. So I upskilled in user experience design. And then I discovered this world of people who were trying to design things or build technology, but didn't have the business sort of, uh, or the commercial sense to, to make it a real thing. So I was like, oh, I think I can help you. And I just started, I just started, yeah, saying, saying yes. Do you want to mm -hmm. speak on this panel? Yes. Would you like to help organize this event? Yes. And started to kind of, you know, I, I think I probably had coffees with people that probably I didn't need to have coffees with. But at the same time, I think, you know, one of the biggest career hacks I would suggest to anyone out there is if you want to become known in a particular space or if you want to make a career move, be the person that brings together the people in that community. Mm -hmm. You know, organise the events, you know, make the podcast, you know, do that interview series. If you're the person with the microphone at the front of the room, even if you're not the speaker, if you're the MC, all of a sudden people think that, that you're the person. Mm -hmm. so I think what I found was uh, even just having my name at the bottom of emails or having my name as the organizer of something even if I, all I was doing was putting out name tags and and biscuits um if you're bringing people together and it was that generosity of spirit and actually putting you know putting effort into the industry that you care about or the industry they're interested in I think that's that helped me um you know build my network and then attract um you know lots of lots of questions and attention from people who were like oh are you looking to leave corporate and start a startup I was like maybe I don't know uh, and what ended up actually happening was a colleague at the bank messaged me and said, oh, there's a, there's a guy here. He's, he's down from Silicon Valley. You like startups, don't you? Maybe you should talk to him. And I was like, oh, his website's, <laughs> his website's not that great. I don't know if I want to meet him. Um, but um, he ended up, uh, you know, saying, oh, I think you should, should have chats. So, you know, we did. And this was the person who uh, ended up, you know, co-founding this business with me. Um, he, he lived in San Francisco and I was in Melbourne. So we were remote from day one. And. I still worked at the bank for probably about six to nine months after we started the business because I'm not insane. <laughs> I needed to pay my bills. Um, but I think, you know, there's also this element of that, of that permission, of that bravery. It's like, okay, who's, no one no one said that that was allowed, but I, I said to my boss at the time, hey, I think I need to go on startup parental leave for a bit. Like, can I have three months unpaid leave, please, so I can try this thing? Um, and, you know, I think... Yeah, those, that year was the year that I probably just spent a lot of time like building up that muscle, building up that muscle of trying new things. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, this has been a fascinating and far-reaching conversation. You know, we've, we've definitely explored agency and empowerment. We've definitely explored the, uh, the importance of uh, iteration, iteration and the, the learning that it goes with that. We've definitely explored the power of influence and permission now, but also I think you just touched on the importance of our own authority and actually understanding that we have value and that we can bring value to the communities that we serve, but also to our own growth. And 
it's, it's enormously courageous to be able to step into that space because I, I get this imposter syndrome piece, mm. you know, but if we come back to the word of permission, our, our belief is that it's the formal consent of saying yes to yourself, you know, and, and yeah. saying yes to do something. So then that movement has power. So my, I've got two final questions before I hand it over to young Phil to wrap this uh, wonderful conversation up. My first, <laughs> my first question, so these will be rapid fire. The first one is, what is something that you've tried in your career that you'll never do again? Uh, taking on advice from everybody because uh, if they're not in the arena with you, then they're probably just throwing rocks at you and that's not helpful. I love that. I love that. And I, and, and everyone knows I love the, the the man in the arena or the woman in the arena, um, Teddy Roosevelt uh, poem, because uh, those critics that in the, in the stands, they're either critics or, or um, they're spectators. Well, one, they're all built on the, the construct of fear. So let's ignore them and let's focus on being in the arena. I love that. So let's not take advice from people who are not in the arena. Um, and my last question is, if you only had 280 characters to tweet a definition of leadership or leading, what would it be? Self-leadership, first and foremost. Lead yourself before you can lead anyone else. Some iteration of that, because I think, you know, it's with, if you can't get, get behind yourself and if you can't make yourself put one foot in front of the other, then... Um, no one's gonna. No one's gonna follow you. Yeah. So, yeah. Self leadership there. Jeanette, it's been an absolute privilege to share um, some time and and have a virtual cup of coffee and talk to you about what you're doing as a game changer, what you're doing to lift up others, um, and what you're doing to pass it on in your work, in your life, and just who you are and and who you're becoming. Thank you. Um, it's been a terrific conversation. We wish you and Hex very well. We'd love to stay in touch with you because there's a whole lot of thinking there about, about the nature of the competencies we need to thrive in the world. That we, need, we need lots of people thinking about that and, and trying to work with that so that we can then influence the way that we think about learning in school so that we can truly make sure that we are designing and delivering today's learning for tomorrow's world. So Jeanette Shear from Hex, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Phil and Adriana. It's been, uh, been a great conversation. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.